the Buddha said through his own experience there's a you could say a place you can go to he called it Nibbana the island the refuge the place you cannot get go beyond the ending of birth aging sickness and death the ending of suffering place of peace our aspiration is to leads to consider this and how do we what do we do to to realize that this is a uh, you know it's kind of an obvious topic and also a subtle topic If quality of energy is required, motivation is required, mindfulness is required, Mm. investigation is required, Mm. happiness is required, joyfulness is required, soothing qualities are required, Mm. collectedness and the mind consolidated, unified is required. Equanimity is required. Mm. Mm. Serenity is required. Enlightenment factors are required. How do they arise? Not through craving. So the also the synonymous uh, approach is through the release of every kind of craving, tanha. It's again to differentiate craving tanha from desire. Craving is a desire you can never fulfill because it's chasing after a fantasy. And this uh, chasing after a fantasy <laughs> goes on, goes very deep. And when we contemplate, consider the first three fetters, Sakaya Ditti, personality view, doubt, skepsis, uncertainty, lack of confidence. Lack of confidence in citta, trust in citta, trust in letting go, lack of confidence in that openness of the Dhamma. The availability of it. And Sila Patta Paramasa fondling, getting fascinated, grasping at uh, systems, customs, techniques, protocols, rights and wrongs, duties, responsibilities, and so on. (coughs) The grasping at them, the fondling of them, the seeking security in them, the seeking to be a good person because of them, the seeking to get it right because of them. And how much is this going to happen for us in everything we do? So this doing has to be very carefully handled. 
Because these three fetters link together. They're not just one, two, three. One goes, the second goes, they all break together because they all represent represent they all represent the same thing. The three aspects of the same thing. It's to do with the personality. This personality and this um, personality and the personality's attempts to get it right and the personality is shaped by systems and customs, by behaviours, by protocols, rules, law and order, uh, duties and responsibilities. And this is a threefold grip. Just to what is the personality? How does that form? So it's called Sakaya Ditti, Ditti, a view that's formed around being a body or having a body. So the sense of being a body, having a body makes you make gives rise to the impression you're you're a, you're within this physicality. Uh, when you so you have to be mindful of your body, you realise there's no no you're not in it. You the sensitivity to it. And you recognize it's not even a solid thing. It's a flowing, changing flow of elements and energies and sensations. And as you cultivate it, instead of the personality view, often based upon outward appearance, you know, the personality fiddling with their body, trying to make it more this or less that or this, that, and the other, you get you know, this wrong view around the body. Also, this sense of being a body is a very powerful influence in our lives. Once you're a body, then you are seen. You're, a, you're visually seen, aren't you? You're, oh, that's her. That's him. Hmm? In a way, you're like a target for hmm, that's her, that's him. For approval and disapproval, for being compared with others. then this personality gets built around other people's views, opinions and one's attempt to be approved of because it's um, perilous being particularly when your body is really small, you're a little one it's quite perilous, frightening if people don't approve of you so you really want to be approved of and accepted by other people you get this conditioning, try to be what you should be. You don't know what you should be, really, but you know you shouldn't be that. <laughs> so you get a lot of this kind of training to try to be some ideal. Some ideal of better, better, smarter, quicker, stronger, more polite, more this, more that, more effective, more steady, more stable. And this sort of social pressure, group pressure, social pressure, being compared with other people. Sort of, this is in the personality forms as a series of attitudes and uh, drives and um, programs and manners uh, that you know, 
the manners, the attitudes, the, the behaviors, and this becomes the, the sila vata. So we end up following particular behaviors, conforming to them, molded by them, shaped by them, so that we will get that sense of being okay, feeling approved of, feeling okay. And what you recognize as you meditate, you don't feel okay. Sometimes you experience a great deal of pressure from all these personal drives and memories and judgments. How many people say they experience a sense of self-criticism, self-judgment? What's that? There's this strong sense of you should be. You should be something ideal. And this, uh, what is that? We don't know what it is, but we just know we're not it. So criticism, self-criticism. Trying to recognize, you know, this is like this. Energies go up and down. Mind is like this. And the big, um, often very difficult process is to not just get caught up in the personality and the personality's drives and its opinions and its memories and even its training, what it should be. The fear and the guilt of not being good enough. The desperate attempts to do something to make yourself better. So maybe meditate, you'll be better. What you should be, clear, calm, wise, concentrated, focused, samadhi. This is what you should be. We all know that. We all know what you should be. (laughs) But you're not. (laughs) Therefore, dukkha. So, but then what's what's the response to that? Criticism. Does, does criticism, is that an enlightenment factor? If it was an enlightenment factor, I'm sure you'll be enlightened by now. <laughs> it's not an enlightenment factor. <laughs> ah. So why does it happen so often, <laughs> involuntarily? Because of this bhavatana, the craving to become something. Craving to be something that is approved of, good, right, proper, the way it should be. You don't know what you should be. You have an idea of what you should be. You don't even know what you are. There's this constant stream of moods and shifting sensations and energies happening, and often confusion, trying to get it right, and how should I meditate, and what should I do with my life? And this, this, you know, it's all around. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do to get it right? You know, and you, you hear that quality, that cry. What should I do to make it okay? I'm not doing enough. I'm doing it wrong. Perhaps I could do it another way to make it okay. This is um, fear. Fear and desire, desire, craving. 
because with the fear comes the sense of I won't this feeling of punishment comes up so if nobody's there to punish you you punish yourself and you get this built into the personality drive the personality gets built around all kinds of behaviours one of them is the personality gets built around punishment and fear of punishment rejection and fear of rejection trying to be good enough and fear of not being good enough and the voices and the people that tell you that and says pressure, pressure, pressure we get quite intense and we can even adopt that pressure as as a kind of a, a a pressure that we could use to, to meditate with, to know we bust through, we have the big breakthrough. You know, we really practice hard and have the big breakthrough. There's this pressure to become something that's good enough. So, this particular syndrome. Practicing from the personality view, with its sense of inadequacy and its constant fear of punishment, and if it's not, and punishment, criticizing itself, driving itself onwards to be something, get something, have something, stop being something, and this is a complete wrong track. <laughs> We're following the wrong thing. How can you follow fear and craving and get to enlightenment? How can you follow punishment and criticism and get to somewhere peaceful? How can you follow guilt and inadequacy and arrive at a, a loving place where it's warm and comfortable? How can you follow those trends? But the personality doesn't know <laughs> the other trends. <laughs> well, perhaps it does, but you know, a lot of personalities are molded around this fear, punishment, fear of being not being good enough, rejection, got to make something, got to be something. And then we apply that to meditation or Dhamma practice. Yeah. And you just look at the results. Yeah. Self-criticism, the judgments, numbness, numbing out, stressed, uncomfortable, confused mind states because it's all this stress and pressure that these personality drives put upon the chitta. We don't even know what the chitta is. You know, could you define it in words? That wouldn't do it. If I did define it in words, it wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's not the object. It's the it's the supreme you could call it the supreme subject, the quiet center. We don't know what it is. This is pretty crucial because it's not a matter of putting it in words, but to touch into that. Because this is the entity or the intelligence or whatever you want to call it that realizes liberation. So it's pretty crucial. <laughs> have some access to that, you know? And it's not the person. It's not the personality. Personality is a form. 
series of behaviors, attitudes, drives, customs, protocols, uh, rights and wrongs, should do, shouldn't do, guilt and regret, fear and compulsion, that and personal craving and ambition and so forth, that, that gets stuck onto the chitta. How many of us feel if we did the right, got the right technique, we'd be okay? No, there's no such thing as the right technique in that. That's a, that's a sila vata. That's a right and custom. You can use it, but the idea of using a, a, a system or a custom, or a practice or a technique, is for ease and contentment. Pick up the tone. Pick up the tone. And you can't put you can't do that through pressure. Because then you get the tone of pressure. And if you don't you know and it may be a tone you're so used to, the sense of pressure and got to that you don't even recognise it. It's like a sound that's always there, that you don't even hear it anymore. Because there's always been the pressure, it's just changing. The pressure to get to work, the pressure to do that, the pressure to be nice, the pressure to be good, the pressure to look after your kids, the pressure to look after your wife, your husband, your pressure to pressure to pressure to pressure to pressure. So you don't even, that's what life is, pressure. Well, as if it wouldn't happen without pressure. As if there's no such thing as called love. If there's no such thing called morality. As if there's no such thing as wisdom and fellow feeling, as if these didn't exist by themselves without pressure. And they do exist by themselves without pressure. And really they only exist without pressure, they exist as the natural response of the unburdened heart to this strange experience we're in, where we, we experience bodies, we experience people, we experience entities, we experience time. We experience place, and we experience aging and death. We experience need and hunger. We experience these things, and Chitta's response to that is, well, what's needed? What's helpful here? Share, you know, look after each other. Okay, never mind. Start again. Moral conscience and, and wisdom to begin to notice how one's where the errors occur and check it. This is the natural quality of citta, and the, the, the citta becomes available when you know we, the tone of our life is encouraging, loving, steady, peaceful, supportive, uh, in line with the Buddha, steady, warm, compassionate clear. The tone is like that. So the meditation and chanting and devotional practices and you know, retreats, ideally, you know, we're looking for this quality of a sense of something that, that touches the jitta with feeling of gladness. Gladness, pamoja, is considered the beginning of liberation. The mind is glad, Skillful states arise. 
the mind is glad when we are because we're free from uh, um, regret and doubt how do those get free because you you know you can sense the the simple things like the five precepts now actually the moral codes in Buddhism are pretty simple you don't have to be that good to stop killing people (laughs) stop killing creatures if you do make a mistake even then it's still okay well that wasn't so good You, you you know you ran over a rabbit or something or you then you can well, fault, okay, clear it, uh, regret, forgiveness, start again. So these are it's not there's no ultimate sin, you see. So you know, when you consider it, how did it come to people like Angulimanu murdered nine hundred and ninety nine people? Don't you think he had a tinge of regret <laughs> to deal with? <laughs> nine hundred and ninety nine people you've killed. Uh, and you're about to kill your own mother, and the Buddha says, he, if he kills his mother, he'll really be in trouble. So he said, oh, I better get in, I better intervene. So the Buddha puts himself in, in the way. So then Gudimana, oh, I'll go and kill him instead. Good luck, you know, very fortunate. But still, you know, killing 999 innocent people, there's a little bit of demerit there. <laughs> I bet you haven't done that. <laughs> but just imagine living under the weight of that, that guilt and shame. But the teaching is, you know, that's, that's very, but you, know, you, can, you can clear it. You can, so Angulimala becomes Narahant. That's the story. Now, whether you believe it or not, that's clearly, that's there, it's definitely as a teaching, as presenting something. Presenting something about karma. Saying, yes, there's good and bad karma, and there's also, it's possible to, there's a way out. But it doesn't come through fear and desire, guilt and regret, punishment and criticism. It comes through more powerful factors, uh, mindfulness, investigation, energy, uh, rapture, calm, steadiness, collectedness, concentration, equanimity. How does that, you know, how does all this work? You wonder, how can you possibly you know, get, get all that when you've done such terrible things? Well, essentially, the, you know, we, that's why the Buddha may be, why these fetters are good to, to, um, to name and to focus on. Uh, the personality view always binds the citta into its history. Personality is a historical form. You start off with nothing, nothing much, 
develops over time. What develops it? Contact with others. Primarily the parents, the family, then the school, the society, the social norms that moulds the personality. That's historical. That holds all the memories, the behaviours, the um, you know the things we did wrong and all that. It's in that. So through understanding this, through recognizing that sanya, the perception, through recognizing the sankara, these compulsive activities, these impulsive mental energies and activities that bind the citta, and through releasing them, when you release these sankaras, the fear, the guilt, the regret, goes with them. But if you're still holding on to them, you never get out. You're still trying to make them exactly right. You never get out. It's like you're polishing chains. Just polish the chains around your body, keep polishing them to make them nice and nice and shiny and clean and bright. (laughs) The way they should be. (laughs) So uh, uh, one begins to regard the personality, consider it, what it's not, it's not an entity, it's a habit. <laughs> it's a series of habits. Often to do with doing things. Doing things. Doing things right is the is the search to do things right. It's a doer. Doing is sankata, sankara, doing. And certainly there's better kinds of doing, you know, than worse kinds of doing. That's not, it's true, but uh, uh, with the doing comes the sense of the identity who does it. And that identity, it's not really the doing, it's the identity of the doer that we don't necessarily sense. So we can try very hard, very hard doing, trying to do good, do right, do the proper thing, do the careful thing, but the doer is frightened, compulsive, unbalanced, desperate. We don't see it because we're busy doing. Where's it coming from? Where's it come from? The doer is not good enough. Most we have to come to terms, perhaps in, in this area of Dhamma, the doer is never good enough, and that's good enough. <laughs> uh, so, then what's what is that other than the doer? I've been trying to touch into uh, occasionally from time to time talking about receptive, 
being receptive. It's doing, yeah. It's also receptive, receiving, opening to. Opening to the gift, gift of consciousness, gift of our life, gift of any gift, physical gift, material gift, gift of Dhamma, and the gift, the mysterious gift of something there that's sensitive, adjusts, trembles, is curious, searches for well, its well-being. It's quite a, you know, beautiful thing really but to really receive and understand and sense this quality, chitta you can't do too much because you lose the ability to listen deeply listen and sense deeply beyond the actions, beyond the reactions beyond the judgments, the criticisms listen deeply to the heart And what's there may be uncertainty, calm it. What's there, sorrow, gladden it. What's there, fatigue, rest it. What's there, joy, celebrate it. What's there, gladness, delight in it. And this is this taking that we then receive and open to qualities of chitta not personal, it's our human gift. So meditation practices and practice of sila, there's doing, yeah, but a lot of it is particularly is about just acknowledging. I mean, the five precepts are really not that difficult. But you can do them and still not feel good enough. Whereas if you thought about it rationally, imagine if everybody in the, on the planet kept the five precepts, it'd be a pretty wonderful place, wouldn't it? Just imagine that. Just that alone. You keep the five precepts, the eight precepts, and you're still not... Uh, <laughs> you know, a bit lazy and you know, sleepy and dull. Sleepy, dull, lazy, uptight, irritable irritable, dull mind states, will just linger in the quality of the, of the precept, the precept carrier. So if you give attention to negative mind states, they, they like that, they get bigger, and they get very convincing. And the personality tends to adopt these personal qualities. Precepts are not personal qualities. It's not, my precept's better than your precept. My non-killing is much better than your non-killing. <laughs> it's exactly the same. So it's not a personal. It's just a, it's not a personal thing. It's just the kind of standard. When you think, well, it's about what you don't do, isn't it? The non-lying. And so that that that's that's just the. So the idea is, you keep it. Of course, it's got a conventional benefit. But it always has something more transcendent. If you ask you to linger, if you linger in the the beauty of that non-abusiveness and the gent- and the sensitivity of heart, 
Hiryotapa, sense sensitivity, concern. And so we keep lingering in skillful states. And the beauty of these skillful states is is actually that they are closer to the chitta than the person is. They're quite natural. And you feel that then it's got a steadying effect, a reassuring effect, a gladdening effect. It gives you dignity, gives you self-respect. So if you've just if you've just attained this, you've already attained something more than the majority of people on this planet. And this, this attainment would by itself would be the blessing for the entire world and you've already done it. And do, do you get that? Yeah. You get that? And can you let go of the past, the personal past, the personal flaws and struggles and da 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 da? Can you just put that aside for one for a few moments and just delight in this? Now this quality of lingering and savoring skillfulness is a quality to be encouraged. Uh, it's not circumstantial. The personality is built on circumstances. Some of them very random, historical, accidental. Some of them very unfortunate. People experience quite a bit of abuse in their lives. Knocked around. You know, not treated very well. That the personality is shaped by that. Frightened, nervous. Uh, you know, feeling unworthy. And often think there's something wrong with me because of that. And we, get, we, we, we absorb into it, make it me. And this is just the personal histories. I mean, Guli Marla must have had a rough, rough one. But <laughs> often when I teach retreats and you listen to people in interviews and some of their stories are very, very sad. level of abuse in society. You know, know, people who were abused by their father, he was always blowing up with rage and drunk. And you think, well, he was a bad guy, but then he was shot up. He was in a war, and, and the only way he could deal with the terror and the trauma was through drinking, just to drown it out. So is it his fault? You know, and so naturally, occasionally blow up because he, all his suppressed rage and fear would blow up. Is he to blame? Well, maybe. You know, and so on and so on and so on. Eventually, you just get tired of saying who's to blame for it all, because <laughs> whoever's to blame, that doesn't help anyway. <laughs> well, it's your fault, my fault, his fault. Therefore, it still doesn't cure it. You've got to get back to, you know, the dukkha right now uh, of, of miserable states, bound up into history, personal history. But there is chitta. 
there is purity of heart available for us. And the first step of this is precept. You you treasure those. It's said to be like a, a garland that you wear. Now you can, of course, a personality can start getting very righteous about precepts and we attach to it, sila, as an attachment. It was more righteous. But it wasn't designed to be judging other people with. It's designed for one's comfort. Silena sukhating yanti, to make you feel good make you feel you're on the right path to give you confidence and well-being. Silena bhoga sampada. Sila is something that gives you a sense of an enrichment. You have a gift. Silena nipputing yanti. Sila that helps to cool the passion of becoming. Because you already are it. You already got it. If you value it, you feel contentment. Yeah. When you take on the eight precepts, you're doing something formidable, really. Uh, do you get to the end of the day and, and, and feel pleased with it? No, probably. <laughs> Don't even notice it. <laughs> I don't blame you, because I, you know... I could start bragging about my precepts. I've got precepts coming out of my ears. I've got so many of them. (laughs) Hundreds of them. By the end of the day, you still don't feel very pure. (laughs) And good and right. You think it very simple, like that, because you can agonize, well, maybe that was a wrong offense. Perhaps it was, you know, look in the book, and it's not this, it's that. You go, oh, dear. Maybe there's an element of greed or aversion in that. Maybe I wasn't really pure. Maybe I was, my speech was a little bit manipulative or slightly abusive. Or really tricky. It's a difficult business. I don't think the Buddha set it up for this to make us constantly rattled with fear and worry and constantly looking in books to make sure we're doing okay. <laughs> you can end up with that as a Buddhist monk. You think it's like some kind of obstacle course <laughs> where the vineyard's out to shoot you. So you think, well, did I, that, that candy that I ate in the afternoon, it might have had a trace of milk in it. <laughs> so you, look, you end up looking at wrappers and things like that. <laughs> I, this is, I don't think it was the idea. This wasn't the idea, was it? Obsessive rule-keeping. Yeah. No, this is surely for, for a feeling, just to get a very confident feeling of just you know, really having a, a steady attention to uh, one, one's desires and fears. And then the idea is if you do get it, you do occasionally transgress, it's pretty normal. It's, oh, okay, just acknowledge it. Start again. You know, acknowledge it. I did this, maybe that's wrong. End of, end of problem, start again. That's it. No, no, no punishment. No criticism. It's up to you. And then this beautiful process in, in Sankar life where you, you have to make these confessions or pro- clearing every two weeks 
And you just go to, to the other monk, monks get together and you make your confessions and, you know, maybe I did this wrong or that wrong. Uh, you know, and that's it. Because we, we value that. But the aim is to generate value, not fear. And it's done completely on trust. Nobody's snooping on anybody else to make sure. I think he had a candy the other day. <laughs> There's no snooping. It's completely on trust. There's no police. You don't have vineyard police. It's on trust. So you do it because you, you, you know, be careful about my behavior. That's beautiful. And... Um, we have this chitta that, that then it, it, it safeguards us. It acts as a natural guardian and protector. But it's associated with a, a sense of, well, the, the, the other monks, we, you know, we may not always like each other as characters, but we trust each other. We can get on together. You know, we sometimes disagree, but we can get on together. We don't hold it. We don't hold it with deep resentment. We just let it go. Just personalities clashing, never mind. You know, you get used to it. And then you just don't really let it get let it get on you because you recognize, well, everybody's got their karma. That's what's happening. And we want to get beyond it. This is the natural quality of human beings when they've got this simple standard to, to mediate around. They're not mediating around who's the greatest monk, successful, brilliant, you know, intelligent, dynamic, popular, wonderful, charismatic. You know, they're just, no, you don't want that. Then there's a group, harmony. This is something that, uh, yeah, when you really see the... Uh, ways of human beings and you notice nowadays we have lots of laws and police everywhere is police we think it's normal but you know some societies never had police they just had trust and honour and love and sharing instead (laughs) and cooperation instead you know they were called primitive because <laughs> they weren't run on this fear and pressure. There's a cooperation, work together, help each other, share out. You know? No rich people. People just shared. And this is the old, old ways of the old people of the land. There were no, you know, it's roughly the same. Because they didn't believe in owning things, or property. How can you own anything? You're going to die. How can you own anything? So no greed, no hoarding. And your value is community. That's your value. That's your treasure. How do you get community? You get community through having a moral sense and through forgiving and letting go and loving and caring for each other and having fun together. They don't need police. You don't need that pressure. 
In the time of the Buddha, they didn't have police. Now we need them. So much property to defend, isn't there? Defend the property. Make plenty of money. Make sure nobody steals it. Mm-hmm. Of course, the idea of being a monk is you don't have anything worth stealing. They don't need police. Even now, we make a principle in our monastery we don't lock the door. Front door. We don't lock the meditation hall. It's open day and night. We don't have a gate at the, the entrance to the monastery. I mean, so sometimes you get crazy people, you know, make graffiti or something. But it doesn't matter because it's, it's so, so important to have a sanctuary where people can go any time and just be accepted. Let's go and sit in the hall. It's okay. You don't have to pay anything. Just get some quiet. Yeah. Any time, day or night, help yourself. So important in this day, people to just to find some time just to be with themselves. You don't have to be a Buddhist. You know? And it's amazing that all that, that time that there's been maybe one time somebody, you know, threw a brick through a window or something, some crazy young kids. So okay, you know, you lose a bit, but it's worth it. Because you feel such a sense of gladness that you can offer that to, to people. And you're glad to not have to live with the anxiety and the fear and the ownership. You know? And something about the place, it seems to look after itself. You know, there's such a sense of, I don't know, you start to feel devas or something, devatas, but it starts to emanate a certain quality that calms people. And people feel, and they come in, they look around, wow, amazing. You know? They feel calm and happy, so then they want to help. How can I help? People bring food and things like that. There's no compulsion to do so. But when you come into a quality like that, you know, and it's, and it's people's chittas naturally start to open up. And they, love and kindness come out. Generosity and serving come out. And it's so a beautiful thing to see. Right, you know, old, young, and so on. And people offer what they can. There's no kind of, um, you don't have to, there's no sense of your offering is your offering. There's no sense it's your offering is better than somebody else's offering. It's your offering. You offer what you have. You can mow the lawn, great. If you can just sweep the hall, that's fine. If you want to bring up some cakes, that's okay. You just enjoy the quality of giving. doesn't matter what you give. In some respect, how much you because we're looking at qualities, not not qualities of heart, not material. Naturally, the material acts as a, a token for that quality. These qualities, then you know, stila, dana, sharing, cooperation. They're not that difficult, are they? 
But in this, there's no losers. And we, we feel, we, 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 you know, realize something. It's, it's non-competitive. <laughs> An anecdote I like to recall is uh, this um, anthropologist who was living, studying in, uh, people in the Amazon area, the Amazon rainforest, and they're studying this tribe, and every now and then they'd have a kind of, seemingly some kind of game they'd play, or it was like a contest. And he couldn't quite figure it out, because what would happen would be a group of people, two groups would just go into the, the forest, and they'd each would pick up a log, a big log, maybe six people, and some of them were old, young, men, women, another six, seven people would pick up another log. The logs weren't the same weight, and the people didn't look like they were equal strength. They start running, carrying these logs. And then and they notice, after a while, the one that was ahead, a person would leave that team and could join the other team. Yeah? So then if that log get it, got ahead, the person would leave that team and join the other team. So what are they trying to do? And occasionally they would get to the finishing line and one team had won. And everybody looked sad and didn't look happy. Oh, strange. Next time it happened, the other team won. People didn't look, look, still didn't look happy. You couldn't figure out what this is about. And eventually they did it and they both arrived at the finishing line at the same time. And everybody was just so happy. <laughs> Because the aim of the whole game was to create harmony, <laughs> cooperation. We really cooperated so well, despite the fact that you know our team was three old guys <laughs> and, a, and a young girl, and this team was six big men. We managed to cooperate so well that we got together at the end of the, exactly the same. That we really won, you know, everybody won. It was just amazed because it's so contrary to the, particularly the Western way of doing things. Pressure to get better. And there, the energy was to try to get equal. <laughs> you know, by cooperation, because that's what binds people together. Where there's winners, there's losers. Yeah? Yeah? And that joy, the, and the, the natural, spontaneous joy that arises from harmony, this is a chitta property, it loves it. And uh, you know who we are as people. Uh, really matter. You get, yeah. Uh, so these are lovely features to to. Um, but it's not like you've got to do this, you've got to do that to be accepted. It's uh, tune in, you know, tune in to where the heart feels this sense of brightness and joy. Very important. Get the tone. And we come to meditation. And I've suggested, as I suggested, there's different kinds of ways you could do meditation, different themes that you could cultivate. But remember, the aim of the theme is to cultivate so that jitta feels comfortable and steady. It's rather like the game with the logs. It's not to win, 
is to just feel comfortable and steady. It's the tone that counts. <laughs> right? So we say, well, how do I do anapanasati? So I just do it so that you, you know, it's, it's not, it's like you're breathing. I mean, everybody breathes. It's not, it should be that difficult, should it? Because we're all breathing. Just be aware of it. Be mindful of breathing in and breathing out. Do you breathe in? I bet you do. <laughs> do you breathe out? Sure, otherwise you'd explode. <laughs> Ever you do that? Sure. Uh, which breath is the best one? <laughs> it's the one that you're doing right now. <laughs> that's the best one, because it's the only one that's happening now. Now you may think, oh, it should be shorter, it should be longer. Uh, it should be more like this and more like that. Actually, Sajido's breath is like this. Uh, my breath isn't like that. There's something wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> How long is long? You know, in fact, as long as possible till it comes out of your ears, you know? <laughs> well, long means it feels sort of long. <laughs> And you differentiate it because other ones feel kind of short. <laughs> so sometimes it seems long and sometimes it seems short. Could be that you could feel that breath going way down, very, very long breath. And that's that, you know, you have certain effects with that. No point trying to make it that way because you get that pressure and the body starts to stiffen up. It doesn't like pressure. Breathing doesn't like pressure. It gets all tight. No point you getting upset about your breathing. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, you just do know that you do breathe in and breathe out. And some of them are quite shallow and some of them are deeper. They have different effects. But that's great, you know, if, if so, you know, that can be a very long, a very, these breaths can be a very, very regenerative effect. Maybe that's not the case for you. Maybe, you know, but just the sense of something that just easily flows in and out, rhythmically, and letting your chitta just rest against that. Letting your chitta, letting your awareness, if you like, just rest on that quality. Sensing it, feeling it, like just placing your hand on it. Feeling the tonal quality, something smooth. You don't have to do it. Happening to you, it's a gift gift of breathing and it does it, breathing is good for you definitely recommend it <laughs> and all breathing in brings energy in all breathing out releases so however that is and it says oh then breathing in breathing out sensitive to the entire body oh, the entire body wow body well that's my ears my teeth nose can I feel my breath in my teeth? Um, can I feel my breath in my spleen? What about my toenails? <laughs> can I breathe throughout through my toenails? No, no, I don't think that's what he meant. I think it means when you close your eyes and you feel your body directly, you feel this sense of something that's warm and a certain substance to it. And it's got quality, definitely that's a body, well that. And uh, just that experience of being embodied, as you, you're sensing how does breathing in and out 
does that have any effect on it? If you are able to just rest against that breathing, you can feel, yeah, the breathing in out, my body swells. And when I breathe in, it subsides when I breathe out. That's it. Sensitive to the entire body. Now you could, if you linger in that long enough, you, you linger in that, take it in fully, you might notice there's a certain tingly effect that happens, a tingling effect that happens. You breathe in and breathe out. Did you notice that? You linger longer in it, and there's a, there's a kind of cumulative effect. As you, the more you linger in it, it, it does begin to change and open. The sensitivity increases over time. And you begin to feel more of it and more subtle effects. You don't do that through pressure. You do that through just giving yourself the time to, to receive and sensitize and be contented. And none of that's going to happen unless you learn the basic principle of to, to, to notice something that's pretty obvious, like breathing and breathing out, non-killing, helping each other, not headline, it's not headline news, and dwelling in the tone, tonal quality of that, the joy of it, the ease of it, the comfort of it. And it's that quality, that quality. This quality is the kalyana, kalyana dhamma. You know, and it's, you see it, the Buddha says, this dhamma is kalyana in the beginning, kalyana in the middle, kalyana at the end. Admirable, lovely, beautiful, uplifting. And this quality and then Jitta takes that in, Jitta starts to lift. That's, that's how it happens. You can't say, come on, lift up, Jitta. <laughs> Get inspired, come on. <laughs> doesn't do it that way, it doesn't follow orders. But it can appreciate the lovely and the beautiful. That's what it, it can do that. And it's because it's touched by the tone and the happiness and the, and the purity of it. This is qualities to, to bear in mind, you know? And just notice when you're getting a bit rough or pushy or fretful or impatient or too much in your head trying to work it all out, figure out where you are and look at some table of you at this stage or that stage, you're getting to the attachment to it. Attachment to, to prove you're good enough, doing good enough. This is really lack of confidence. Lack of confidence in jitta. This is what we mean by doubt. Lack of confidence in dhamma. Dhamma upholds you. It's kalyana. But we have, you know, there's a certain, you know, letting go and trusting it that, that's required. And you can't push that. So we begin modestly and humbly, but with joy, we practice. And the Dhamma takes us on. The Dhamma upholds, the, upholds the, those who uphold it. And you start by upholding precepts, upholding generosity, upholding sense restraint, and the quality of them. And that's what you breathe. You take that tone or quality in and breathe it in and out. <coughs>
That's why the Buddha said these these four noble truths, although they are tough, sometimes sound rather tough, you know, dukkha, suffering, tanha, craving, and the need to relinquish the path. He said this is, you know, to just get these. He says, well, you know, if somebody says, well, I will... In the morning we'll stab you with a hundred spears, in the afternoon with a hundred spears, in the evening a hundred spears. And I'll do this every day for a hundred years. And and at the end of a hundred years you realize the Four Noble Truths. Somebody offers you that deal, shake their hand. (laughs) Because it will be accompanied by joy that you wouldn't believe, and a strength you wouldn't believe, and a beauty you'd never imagined was possible, because you didn't know what jitta was and you believed in the personality instead and this is ignorance we didn't know what love was we don't even know what a body is we don't know what attention is we don't even really know what jitta is but we can feel and sense and feel something rising and uplifted that carries us on and to really take the time to linger in that quality, that uh, motivation, that aspiration quality, and it will be another joy for you. You have this direction in your life uh, that you can trust. It's not an opinion. It's not social conformity. It's not based on fear and desire. It's uh, it's a, it's a the truth of awakening. So, of this for your reflection this evening. <laughs>